It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because This Might Get Uncomfortable starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lordson. Today, we are going to talk about something called dopamine fasting. Oh, this is something I wanted to talk about like two months ago, and I forgot I wanted to talk about it. This is great. It's possible that you sent me an article. I did. You did? Yes. Okay. And this was months ago. I had an article saved that I finally read a few days ago. And we will link to that in the show notes at wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com to learn more about what we're talking about here. But I took some notes on what I read and thought that it would be a fantastic subject matter. I think this is apropos, and I'm I'm so glad you're bringing this back around because one thing that Whitney and I do a lot is share articles back and forth about technology, music, TikTok videos, but we also want to share articles about mental health, emotional wellness, sustainability, food. Like we're always sending info back and forth. So I'm so glad that you, I don't know if resurrected the idea, but because I completely forgot that this was something I wanted to talk about. And so I'm super excited that you're bringing it back around. Also, because you and I have been really focusing so much, not just in our conversation with Adam Yasmin, our episode with him, which we can link to in the show notes if it is out by this time, but the idea of digital detoxing and having a more mindful and healthy relationship with digital technology. And dopamine fasting is something that is part and parcel of how we use, or in this case, not use technology or more mindfully use it. So as you dug into this article, Whitney, what popped out at you? What was like top level, like things that you wanted to discuss? Well, in true Whitney fashion, I am going to read you some of my notes and take it <laughs> take it line by line. One thing to know, uh, the one thing I admire about Whitney in our, in our not only our business partnership and co-hosting, but just life in general, is that she her level of organization and research is some of the most poignant and stellar that I've ever seen in any capacity. I mean, you're so what good at organizing information, distilling it, researching it. So it's literally been probably two months since I've seen this article. And since we're resurrecting it, I definitely want to dive deep with you. So I think I also pulled from multiple articles. I can't remember now because I wrote these notes out a little while ago, but I definitely compiled a lot of different thoughts and information to create this. So the whole thing with dopamine well, fasting. Me, that's with, what I'm going to start with. Yeah. Well, no, but I wanted to say like the reason I got excited to send this to you is the more that I started to realize my personal addiction to smartphones and how often I was using it to distract myself or how often I was using it to not just distract myself, but stimulate myself. That's what really got me interested in this subject simply because, as you know, I've struggled so much with brain chemistry issues and depression and dopamine and serotonin and all the neurotransmitters. So this is just a super potent subject in terms of addiction, responsible use of technology. So let's, yeah, let's dive in. Let's go there. Okay. So number one, some people are going out of their way to avoid the many pleasant things life has to offer, which kind of sounds like counterintuitive, right? Like we should be going out of our way to avoid the unpleasant things life has to offer. But dopamine fasting is actually about avoiding pleasant things. Okay. Like? Such as <laughs> online movies. Okay. 
rich food. Rich food, like chocolate? I know, it's funny. Was, it's the like, first thing I thought of was chocolate. I'm like, rich. no. Yes, it's not as in financially rich. Expensive. I'm going to actually turn down that Wagyu beef and that Impossible Burger, that $25 Impossible Burger. Yeah, it's about flavor richness. Also, friendly conversations and eye contact. Wow. Okay. That's fascinating. I, and as Whitney and I are looking directly into each other's eyes. Right Which is now. interesting because I actually can find eye, plus eye contact unpleasant sometimes. It makes me uncomfortable at times. So they're suggesting that all of these things are releasing dopamine in your brain. They're manipulating your dopamine levels. Well, I wouldn't say they're manipulating necessarily. It's just, I mean, especially things like eye contact, I think it's a very basic human form of communication. So perhaps eye contact creates the dopamine so that we will make, you know, it's kind of like our bodies function for a reason. Although then there are things like watching movies, which release a lot of dopamine or platforms like TikTok, which I really think a lot about every time I open up TikTok, is that why am I using this app? I, I find myself when I am craving dopamine, craving pleasure, distraction, any of those like emotions, I will often want to open up TikTok because that for me is a very pleasant experience. It's, it's a, an application that's designed to release a lot of dopamine, right? I mean, most of social media is, but I, I feel like TikTok is more than anything else I've experienced, which is kind of scary at times. And I find it really interesting because I'm very aware of that. And I just keep thinking, well, how is this affecting people that are not aware of how it's affecting them and why they're using it so much, right? And in this day and age that we're going into with technology and the amount of pleasure we have access to, I mean, like we can list off all sorts of things like watching pornography is an obvious thing that you might restrict if you're doing dopamine fasting, right? So to go in a little bit deeper, just to provide more context on this, the idea behind dopamine fasting is that we might be getting too much of a good thing in today's attention economy. And some people believe that we need to carve out time without stimulation from the things that become addictive. So this would include our smartphones, our televisions, internet, playing games, going shopping, gambling, those addictive activities can be minimized or even suppressed for a little while so that we can regain control over how we spend our time. And this will increase behavioral flexibility by reducing impulsive behavior for extended periods of time. This is fascinating to me because if I think about some of the things that I would be in this category for me, I think watching sports highlights or car racing is this thing that I've noticed that I just do mindlessly to get excited. Like it's almost like I'm seeking out external stimulation through watching very specific, not just content, but very specific types of content. But in terms of overstimulation, I think, and and I remember (laughs) when you said rich foods, the first thing I said was chocolate. I mean, I, I already know that chemically chocolate is affecting me simply because of the high levels of phenylethylamine. You know, it's the love molecule, right? They've shown that when you're in love, your brain is releasing certain things in its neurochemistry and eating chocolate helps to mimic a lot of those neurochemicals. So <laughs> like, I just still have this thing for chocolate where I know that I'm probably still doing what I'm aware of doing, which is when I get lonely, 
or when I get sad, I will go to chocolate typically to try and overstimulate myself. And so it's interesting you bring this up because there are immediate things that come to my mind of an awareness around specific things I'm doing. And I know that when I'm feeling down or bored or lonely, I tend to gravitate toward those things. But the thing is, it's a slippery slope because as I'm doing those things, watching those specific types of content, which are immediate or the immediate gratification of eating chocolate, or I think sometimes I've used sex to do that too in relationships. Like I'm sad, I'm bored, I don't feel good about myself. So I'm going to use sex or some form of sex to like gratify myself in that way. And to reflect on those things, it begs the question of why are we so afraid? And I say we as a collective humanity to back away from those things and not use them as crutches so much. Like what is the fear behind that? Because I know I certainly have had a resistance to letting go of some of those things sometimes, even though the awareness exists. It's like, why do I continue to do this? But somehow I sometimes end up feeling worse afterward after indulging in those things like acknowledging that I feel lonely, bored, sad, something. So I reach for chocolate or, or you know, basketball highlights or some sort of sexual stimulation. And then afterward, it's like, oh, actually, temporarily I felt better. But afterward, there's like almost a neurochemistry hangover. It's like I can feel like, wow, that didn't work. But the thing is, I think maybe with some people, that's frightening because they're like, well, then I must need more of it or I must need mm -hmm. something different. Mm-hmm. Or something's wrong with me, or maybe I need to go on medication. Yeah, and maybe we've touched on this in previous episodes, I'm sure we have, of people are afraid to feel sad, or people are afraid to feel uncomfortable, people are afraid to deal with uncomfortable emotions. And I think it's easier sometimes to mask loneliness, sadness, isolation by consuming something, right? Because everything we're talking about, shopping, alcohol, drugs sex, chocolate, like we're talking about consumption here right now, right? All that is consuming, whether it's consuming content, consuming food, consuming alcohol, consuming drugs. I mean, it goes into some of the stuff we heard Russell Brand talk about recently at that event. We saw him at Wanderlust Hollywood and he was talking about the nature of addiction. And I think some of this resonates with a lot of the 12-step methodologies he was outlaying. It just kind of creates this vicious cycle of addiction when the things that we try and do to change our chemistry and change our state of being don't work anymore. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to break that cycle. Well, part of the idea behind dopamine fasting is the belief that by avoiding stimuli, as I mentioned, like smartphone notifications, which I've become increasingly aware of, and I think a lot about this in the mornings when I wake up and I feel that urge to check my phone, and then I pause every time I have that thought. And I think we talked about this in another episode, but just in case we didn't really get into it, after that tech event that we were part of with Adam Yasmin, who's an upcoming guest on the show, we had this opportunity to reflect on our own smartphone usage. Here we are as well-being coaches and podcast hosts and all of that. And yet we still have a lot of work to do and awareness of our own to work on. And I think most people do, right? But I, I really started to think about like using my phone as an alarm, you know, and I found myself like resistant to using a regular alarm, even though there's one in my bedroom I could use. But the convenience of having my phone as the alarm, I'm like, oh, I don't really want to change that. I like all the settings and the options for my iPhone to be my alarm to wake up. But as was mentioned by Tommy Sobel, who runs this incredible company called Brick, which we can link to in the show notes at wellevator.com as well. He talked about how having your phone as an alarm is really challenging because 
you wake up and the first thing you do is touch your phone and you turn off your alarm and then it makes it really easy to start using your phone. So for me, my phone goes on airplane mode when I go to bed. I try to put it on airplane mode as soon as possible, but sometimes it's like right before I fall asleep. So I'm using my phone up until I fall asleep. Oh, really? Yeah. Like I've tried doing an hour or so before I go to sleep, but you know, a lot of times I'm, I'm, I'll admit that I don't do that. On a good night, I'll read before I fall asleep, but that's usually only for like 20 or 30 minutes. So I think a lot of people are recommending that you stop using your phone and technology at least an hour before bed. And I've gone through phases where I'm really good about using my blue blocker glasses, but lately I haven't been using them. I just haven't felt like it. I think I read an article about like how blue blockers might not be doing as much as we thought. So I'm like, oh, I don't know about this. So it's really confusing. But anyways, to go back to waking up, that when my alarm goes off, I'll just have this moment of pause where it's so tempting to turn my phone on. Lately, I've just been asking myself, well, why do I want to turn my phone on? What am I looking for? And it's really interesting if you start to like think about the why. And I'll do this also before I turn on TikTok, which is another current addiction of mine, or eat certain foods, is just to have that consciousness, to have that pause and think about what am I looking to get here? You know, if I'm going to eat something, am I hungry? Am I looking for a flavor? Am I looking for an escape? Yes. Right? Conscious self-inquiry is what you're talking about. And so to come back to some of the article notes, it's believed that by avoiding stimuli like smartphone notifications, right? So what I'm talking about here is like when we turn on our phones in the morning, most of us have a ton of notifications because we've been sleeping. And so especially if we're connected to people from around the world in different time zones, (laughs) it's very possible that there are people that have been awake longer than us. Why are you laughing? Because this whole thing, like it's, it brings up an emotional response for me. Like as soon as the phone turns on in the morning, like I dread that. Oh, you do? Oh yeah. I love it. I dread it. I dread it because it's, it's everyone else's to-do list for me. But here's the thing, with you having that awareness, I would think like, then it must be easy for you not to turn your phone on. And you can also set within your settings on an iPhone or most devices, you can choose which notifications you receive. So you technically, you could turn off all notifications. And when you turn your phone on in the morning, you will not see anything unless you go into a specific app. That might be a little bit more of an ideal. Yeah, I think for me, especially too, and I just to briefly interject with like for me, I've been really consistent with waiting till after my morning meditation is over to turn the phone on. Not every single morning, but if I had to say like a good 95% of the time, I'm waiting till after meditation so that when the barrage of notifications, texts, emails comes in, I feel like I'm in a better state of being to deal with it. And contrasting that with when I used to just open the phone immediately after waking, I would feel instantly overwhelmed. I would feel like my cortisol would go up. I could feel the stress already rising. So for me, I know that for me, the meditation being a non-negotiable has helped it to be easier for me to deal with that. I don't want to say I dread it as much. For some reason, if I don't meditate, like if I'm on the road or traveling, there's a sense of dread if I'm not taking care of my needs first. And then I feel like everyone's picking at me like, hey, can you give me this? Can you text this back? Can you email this? I think it goes back to self-care. And like my frame on that is if I'm taking the best care of myself, I'm so much more able, easier to deal with all of that other stimuli. I think also for you specifically, Jason, I've noticed you have a lot of your notifications turned on and you do it. Not only do you have the general notifications turned on for Instagram, for example, within your iPhone settings, there's like you can choose whether or not 
Instagram is turned on notification-wise, but then within each individual app, such as Instagram, you can go in and set your notifications. So there's like kind of two levels of notifications. There's the general iPhone or whatever platform you're using settings, and then there's the app settings. Same thing goes with TikTok, right? They have different types of notifications and you can choose whether or not those are on. And I really recommend turning off like whether you're getting likes. I mean, if you're somebody like Jason who's posting photos and has a lot of followers, you're going to get notified constantly with every like. Like, why do you need to know every time somebody likes a photo? Oh, no, I don't have those notifications. Personally, I don't. Or like they comment or they leave a message, all of that stuff, right? Well, for me, I just have a setting so that it, it has a little number that shows up on the app. So only time I know if I have a message is if I see that number pop up on the app. It doesn't like come on my screen like a text message would, right? And so I could see how overwhelming it would be if I had all those notifications turned on for all these different platforms for Instagram and TikTok and whatever else I'm doing. I would certainly be overwhelmed. But since I have most of my notifications turned off, I really only have like text. And I think I have like VIP settings on my email. So only I only get notifications for literally the most important people. Am I one of those VIPs? I don't know, actually. <laughs> you don't email me that much. I don't. We mostly text. And I also yeah. at this point check my email a lot. <laughs> I do check my email. Okay. So going back once again to the dopamine fasting article. So They say by avoiding that stimuli that we just talked about, we're also exposing ourselves to uncomfortable feelings. Yes. Right? Which is that feeling of it could be a fear of missing out. Like maybe I have these notifications off. I'm not going to know when somebody emails me. I'm not going to know when they text me. What if it's urgent? Like we live in this time right now where there's so much urgency. It's like a false urgency. Like why do we need to respond to people so quickly? In most cases, we really don't. So when we're exposing ourselves to these uncomfortable feelings without giving in to the temptation to distract ourselves, we can break our habit of grabbing our devices anytime they ding or we feel bad. Meaning like we have this habit. I mean, gosh, ever since I've been paying attention to this, it's nuts when I watch people around me. Just a couple nights ago, I was at a a friend's house sitting next to her and we were with a group of people watching a TV show. And, you know, we gathered together to watch the show as a communal social thing. And I couldn't help but notice out of my corner of my eye, you would hear the buzzing of her phone giving a notification. She'd pick it up immediately to see what the notification was. She'd check it and then she'd put it down and start watching the show again. Because of the way her notifications were set on her phone, her phone was buzzing like every minute. Every minute. Right. So we're watching like this two hour show. Her phone's buzzing at least 120 times just oh my in that God. time that I'm there. No exaggeration. No. I mean, I wasn't counting, but I'm assuming because of the frequency that it was happening. Like, that's nuts. That's absolutely nuts. Right. And that's the thing is we have built these habits through technology and through things like the iPhone and these other smart devices that have been around for over 10 years now. We've created a habit culturally. And this is a generalization, but many people, anybody that has a smart device, unless they're very disciplined and they have their notifications turned off, and if they, some people practice like putting their phone in another room or turning it on to do not disturb or whatever airplane mode. I mean, if we didn't do that during our podcast recording, Jason and I would be incredibly distracted this entire time, right? So we are in this habit of grabbing our devices anytime they're dinging with a notification, they're buzzing, they're making sounds, they're flashing. 
And we also have the habit of grabbing our devices whenever we feel any negative emotion. Boredom is the big thing. And man, it's not only fascinating for me to examine myself in these times, but it's actually become incredibly uncomfortable for me now that I'm so aware because I notice how many people around me are picking up their devices. And it's so uncomfortable at times because I'm thinking in my head, this is definitely a judgment, right or wrong. But like my judgment is this person is bored. Like literally, if there's a pause in conversation, they grab their phone. Really? Jason, you do it too. No, 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 no. (laughs) I mean, like I see you do it and I see myself doing it. You know, you're at a stoplight. You're at a red light. That's true. If the light just turns red, like not just you, I mean, I'm just saying in a generalization, myself included. Oh, I'm at a stoplight. In your head, you're like, well, I'll probably be here for at least 10 seconds. That gives me plenty (laughs) of time to pick up my phone and check and see if I got an important text or email or notification. And if you really break it down, you start to realize it's simply because we've started to associate boredom. We're like, we immediately can resolve boredom. We can immediately say, ah, well, I have some free time. This is a good time to check my device and get a dopamine hit, right? We've trained ourselves to do that. I mean, we go into the bathroom. If you don't bring your phone into the bathroom, no matter how long you're in there, it's like going to the bathroom. People like, if you notice, like if you're at a restaurant, most people will pick up their phone and walk to the bathroom with their phone. It's like, oh, I get a break from the conversation while I'm using the bathroom. This is a perfect time for me to check my advice. Or if you go to an event and nobody's talking to you, this is a perfect time to check my device. You know, we get into this. And part of dopamine fasting is that we should practice exposing ourselves to anxious, bored, or lonely feelings without resorting to our usual escape methods like checking our phones. And that's really what it is. It's like we're trying to escape, we're trying to self-soothe, or we've justified it in our heads somehow that, well, I don't want to waste any time. Like that's another thing. We're in this busy culture where busyness is so rampant that people feel like if they have just a a minute of downtime, that's the perfect time for them to multitask and to check their devices. And by the way, I mean, dopamine fasting is not just about devices. It's also, as we said at the very beginning, it's about rich food. So it's like, I've noticed this about myself too, is when I crave certain foods, you know, stepping back and saying like, well, why am I craving this? Do I really need to have that chocolate, that sugar hit? Or even the non the sugar-free hit. You can have sugar-free chocolate and still get the enjoyment of the chocolate. It's right? still stimulating you. Yeah. Right. And I think that's the point is you're talking about stimulation. And stimulation, distraction, and avoidant behavior. And the interesting thing of everything you just shared with is to me, I've noticed for myself that long-term focus changes for me the more that I have these dopamine hits and, and consuming too much digital. So as an example... If I sit down to write our blogs on wellevator.com, I've been working on my second book, right? The proposal, like long form writing. If I sit down to do long form content, I notice, or even reading, right? Like recently, I'm, I started reading Joe Dispenza's book, Beyond Supernatural. We can link to that in the show. It's phenomenal. That's another tangent all in itself. But whether it's reading or me sitting down to write long form content, which I've typically am really good at both of those things. The more time that I spend on my devices and the more time that I'm distracting myself, I find it is harder for me to focus on long-form consumption of books and long-form content writing. It's almost like my brain, I'll catch myself. I'll be in the middle of writing a blog or book proposal, whatever it is, 
and I'll catch my mind being like, eh, this is boring. Eh, this is, we, we don't want to do this anymore. And I'll catch myself looking to be distracted from the thing I'm trying to focus on. And I actually have read studies about this. We can probably link to a few that confirms that this type of content, this quick, like the TikTok style content makes it harder for our brain to do long-term focusing. And so that's the danger that I've noticed for myself, but also have read for other people that are noticing it too. That's my concern is whether it's human conversation, right? Sitting down to have like a, a long conversation with people or any kind of work or creative endeavor that requires our attention for long periods of time. I think that as humanity, we're facing that people are not so good at that anymore. And that's concerning to me for a litany of reasons. Mm-hmm. Well, in one of these articles that I read, I think one of the doctors or researchers was saying that taking a break from behaviors that trigger strong amounts of dopamine release, especially in repeated fashion, meaning you're doing them over and over again, allows our brain to recover and restore itself. Without those breaks, we become habituated to high levels of the chemical dopamine. So we feel the need to seek out ever higher doses of stimulation to achieve the same pleasurable effect as you were saying earlier, Jason. Yeah. So not only is it causing all of these mental challenges for us, but it's also making us want more and more of it. So it's actually having, it's getting worse, right? It's not like it's just causing one impact on our brain. It means it could continue to impact us in a negative way. And based on cognitive behavioral therapy, an evidence-based treatment approach that helps people change unhelpful ways of thinking that influence their behavior. The dopamine fasting is a form of CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, that's often used to treat addictions, right? So that's part of the reason that people are doing the dopamine fasting is that it's changing unhelpful ways of thinking. Yeah. I want to loop back because you you remind me of something when you were talking about the self-inquiry of asking yourself certain questions of, of why. Why am I doing this? Why am I reaching for the popcorn, the chocolate, the TikTok, the TV, whatever it is, the things you mentioned. For me, I remember when I was becoming aware of my sugar addiction, like really the emotional correlation between that. Which was when? That was probably when I first started to become really aware of like, whoa, you're you're eating way too much sugar was I think four years ago around 2016. I remember standing in my kitchen at my old loft in Koreatown and I was reaching for, I think it was probably ice cream. Love ice cream so much. It's one of my favorites. Mint chocolate chips, my favorite flavor. Mm. And I remember becoming aware in that moment that I was lonely. That's something that I experience a lot. That's a, that's a persistent, uncomfortable emotion for me that I've learned to be more, uh, I don't know if comfortable is the right word, but just sit with it, be with it, right? I started to realize that I was like, wow, it's interesting that I'm feeling that when I reach for ice cream, brownies, chocolate, you know, I love sweets. I stopped myself in that moment. And I remember the question that came in my mind was, what is it you really need right now? And I stopped because I wasn't hungry. There was no hunger present for this ice cream. Zero. I remember like at that moment, I just needed to cry. Like I was experiencing so much loneliness that I needed to process and just be with and I just, I remember putting the ice cream away and just like letting myself be sad and letting myself, allowing it. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that I excel in those moments every time, but I think the awareness and the practice of behavioral change of when I feel lonely, not reaching for something sugary and sweet has been a massive transformational exercise for me. 
And I think it's not just the awareness of it, it's then, okay, when I know that I'm lonely and I reach for the ice cream, can I put it back in the fridge? Can I make a different decision? Right. And that takes practice, especially if it's been habituated for years. Because if I take it back to my childhood, right, where a lot of things start for all of us, for many of us rather, not all of us, but with being raised by a single mom who was amazing and worked two, three jobs at a time, I spent a lot of time alone. And so I think how I probably as a child, from what I recall, has dealt with that was sugary things. Like I'm lonely, I'm bored. So I'm going to reach for this thing to comfort myself. But if those subconscious mechanisms are at work, they carry into adulthood until we become aware of them and consciously work to modify our behavior. So my personal most recent experience was around sugar and like, whoa, dude, you eat this when you are lonely, man. Like, and can you just be with it? Mm-hmm. Not mask it, not try and you know, get away from it. And I think it's frightening to people because, but it doesn't have to be. Like, there's nothing wrong with crying. There's nothing wrong with being lonely. There's nothing wrong with being sad. Like, there's nothing wrong with being heartbroken. Like, it's, it's okay if you're in that state of being, but we're in a culture that is like, that's not okay. Take a pill for it take a drug for it, mask it. Like We're so afraid of these uncomfortable feelings, which you know, this is the crux of one of the reasons we started this podcast. It's like, let's be okay with feeling sad, uncomfortable, confused, scared. It's okay to feel that way. Like Allow yourself. Absolutely. And being very deliberate about your choices around mealtimes, social media, shopping, watching TV. As you were saying, refined sugar, by the way, so delicious. They have the no sugar added mint chip. Oh, no. Have stop. you had that? Yes, I have. <laughs> it's really yeah, good. Yes, so I have. I had it. Yeah. So of course the I've good had news it. is, is that you can find some balance, but it could be for the same reason. I was about to recommend that. And I thought, well, maybe it's not just about the sugar. Like for me, I've been doing low carb and keto off and on for a while now. And there's plenty of sugar alternatives out there, but you might still be eating those foods for the same reason. But I guess part of it is knowing that you could find some balance and it could be transitionary. Just like when we went vegan, maybe we were eating a lot of processed foods at first simply because we were trying to train ourselves to stop eating certain ingredients, but we still weren't quite ready to make the leap from like meat to mostly actual plants versus like going from meat to some of the processed meat alternatives out there is a little bit easier at the very beginning, right? There's also people can become very addicted to alcohol, obviously, processed fats, nicotine, recreational drugs, caffeine even. I mean, caffeine's a huge addiction right now. And I think this is also interesting. In these articles, I learned that dopamine is involved in the complex process of reward-based learning, memory, and motivation. It's motivating you to repeat the process and it's flooding your system, especially when you experience unanticipated things. Unanticipated Mm -hmm. things. So it's like, ooh. And that's why I'm wondering, like, maybe why TikTok and things like that are so addicting. You're constantly surprised. Yep. You know that you're going to feel good. It's kind of like playing the lottery or a slot machine, like gambling. It's like, you know that you enjoy gambling, but you don't know if you're going to win or not. So you keep doing it over and over again, because if you win and it's unanticipated, it's the high is so great. I think, too, was it Tony Robbins that talked about, I know you've heard this because we've discussed it off the podcast, the power of maybe, the power of possibility. There's a phrase he uses. I'm it's prob- definitely Tony Robbins. Yeah. And okay. where, where he talks about the same feeling of, did I get something in the mail today? Like going to our physical mailbox of, oh, there could be something. There could be something in there. It might be surprised. 
is the same kind of brain chemical reaction that motivates checking our email. And I'm, dude, I check my email way too much because, ooh, ooh, wait, 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 there might be a gig. There might be a project. There might be some money coming in. There might be something in there. And so it's the power of maybe or the power of possibility of like, ooh, it could be, there's something in there. There might be, I got to check it all the time. Right. So whether it's like the physical mailbox or the email box, I think that probably the chemical pathways have to be the same. Mm-hmm. I think that's exactly what I experience is like when I really step back and think, what is it that makes me want to check my phone first thing in the morning? It's usually because I never know what type of emails I could get like a great opportunity. You know, maybe it's time sensitive. Maybe somebody wants to pay me for something. And the faster I respond, the higher my chances are of getting it right. Maybe somebody has some good news. Maybe I, I was paid for something. You know, like <laughs> it's, it is that power of maybe that's exactly how I feel every morning when I contemplate how soon I should turn my phone on, how soon should I open up my email? It's absolutely that. And it's so important to teach your brain that the actual act of doing all of these things is not in itself very rewarding. When you realize that a behavior leaves you feeling bad, it becomes much easier to moderate it. Okay. And then you no longer need to force yourself to abstain from it. Instead, abstaining is a natural byproduct of your distaste, right? So the question is, how do you achieve that? How do you teach yourself to abstain from things? It just comes back to what we were saying at the beginning, mindfulness. It's paying it close attention to the experience in real time, being very present to it. And that will help you teach your brain that the experience itself is not truly rewarding. Just like you were saying, Jason, the experience of eating that ice cream in itself is not truly rewarding. Yeah, it tastes good, but that's not the actual reward you wanted deep down. Right, because what I wanted was connection. What I wanted was love. What I wanted was an emotional release. And so I'm using ice cream in that situation as a substitute for love, as a substitute for connection, as a substitute for literally and figuratively wanting to be filled up by something and feeling empty. And so since I'm not being filled up by love, connection, empathy, I'm filling myself up in the only way that is available to me, or the only way I perceive. Because of course, I can call up a friend and say, I'm feeling sad, I'm feeling lonely. I can, I can get that need filled. It's a much more complex psychological dissection of my brain. But it's like in that moment, uh, I don't want to bother people. I don't want to burden them. I'll just have this ice cream so something will fill the void. And we're so afraid of the void. And I think that's what we're training ourselves, right? It's not even necessarily the void. It's just that it's like we've talked about many times. It's the pleasure trap. There's a great book. We've mentioned it before, but I will put it again in the show notes at wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R. We put links to the articles we're talking about, the books, everything that we discuss. We will put them there so you have it. The Pleasure Trap is a great book. It talks a lot about food, but it actually can be applied to most things is that as human beings, we're looking for maximum results out of minimum input. Yeah. Whether that's caloric density, whether that's dopamine in this case, we want the highest yield for the least amount of effort, whatever it is. Talk about the stock market. You can talk about anything. Least amount of effort, highest yield. We're wired for that. Right. I've been thinking a lot about TikTok lately and wanting to do some work around and I was like, might do like a webinar or something. I don't know. I've really been reflecting on it because I see the power in TikTok as a social media coach, 
been doing that for many years. I love coaching around marketing and social media. It's a big passion of mine. And so here I am recommending to so many people to use TikTok. Because of the organic growth. Yeah. I mean, right now in spring 2020, it's incredibly powerful. However, I also see the way that people use it and the amount of external validation you get from that platform is immense. If you hit, it, it is a lot like playing the lottery too, because you go on there and there's a chance that your video can be seen by a million people overnight. Mm-hmm. It's unlike anything else. It's unheard of basically in social media these days, except for TikTok. But you could go in there and spend all this time making a video and then maybe 20 people see it. And then you wake up the next day and you're like, wow, I was really expecting to have a viral video. Everybody keeps talking about how great this is going to be, right? And then maybe you try another video and and then you just become obsessed with your numbers on there. And suddenly it's like you're like craving that attention, right? Like, oh, well, people see this. Do people care about me? Am I doing a good job? And so if you really start to peel back the layers and think about your motivation for posting on these platforms, whether it's TikTok or anything else, even people that don't do it for their careers, like you and I, Jason, people that just want to post on Facebook and share their lives. It's like if you really step back and examine why are you doing that? Right. A lot of it is like we are hoping for external validation. We want somebody to approve of us. We want somebody to think that we're important. We want somebody to perceive us as being valuable. Or significant. Exactly. We want to feel special. We All of these things that we're craving and social media has given them to us. That's the danger with TikTok, really, in my opinion, is that TikTok is giving us the opportunity to be seen, to feel important, and to get it faster than ever before on social media. But the flip side of that, because this reminds me of something that I've worked on with my mentor, Michael, who we, we love Michael. He teaches a methodology called transformational anthropology. And there's this thing called the four dual basic urges that it's axiomatic because as we say, in this case, chase approval, we're simultaneously frightened of disapproval. As we chase significance, we are terrified of being insignificant. So it's axiomatic in the sense that as we chase one thing for our psychological benefit or our brain chemicals, There's a part of us often subconsciously that's terrified of the opposite. What if I'm not relevant? What if no one cares? What if I lose followers? This is some of the hardest work we have to do because becoming aware of why we're doing things, why we're chasing things, we also need to realize that there is a part of us subconsciously that is always going to be in the background, but we're terrified of the opposite. It is axiomatic. There's there's a dual-edged blade to that sword that we need to be so mindful of. Yep. And we spend so much of our energy getting caught up in the cortisol and the stress and the anxiety, especially if you're doing it as a business. I mean, it's one thing to do this in your spare time or just doing it for having just a personal account. But the added layer of stress is when your financial solvency is tied to social media, as it is with us as business owners, not just with Wellevator, but our personal brands, Whitney, there's that added layer I find of stress of you're not posting enough. Where are your likes? Your likes are down. It becomes this shit of like, well, am I going to get my sponsorship? Am I going to get more brand deals? Am I going to have the collaborations with other influencers. I mean, there's so much tied into it and we have to practice. And I'm saying this because I'm saying it to the listener and you, Whitney, like practice letting go and being like, all I can do is my best and I'm not going to run myself into the ground or be stressed or anxious about this. All I can do is my best and let go of the outcome. Turn the outcome over to life. Because if we don't, we make ourselves crazy. 
and it's unhealthy. It's psychologically unhealthy. It's physically unhealthy. And we know people, I and mean, we see, you know, some YouTubers we know, some don't, that have reached burnout points where they're like, I have to take a break. Like, I have to be off this platform. And last year, actually, between August and November, I think, was it three months? I didn't post a single thing on Instagram. I did stories, but I didn't post on Instagram. And honestly, to be, I felt better. I felt better. And it probably didn't impact your life as negatively as you, one might think. Like, to your point, it's so interesting being in the social media world. And a lot of us think that if, yeah, we're going to lose relevancy or people are going to unfollow us or stop caring, you know, all of those fears that we have, we're going to lose money you know, on and on and on. But it's not true. It's just a big fear. I mean, it could be true to some extent, but maybe nowhere near as much as we're afraid it is. And we were talking to Paige about this in the episode that we had, which we'll link to Paige's episode in the show notes at wellevator.com. If you haven't listened to that yet, she admitted this as well. Is like, there's just this fear that if I don't post as frequently or if I don't put up the right type of posts, that I'm not going to be important. It's going to hurt my business or I'm not following the right strategy. And I have a big problem with that. I think also I was really affected after listening to Robert Cheek's episode. I don't know if you've listened to it, Jason, since it went up. Did you? I haven't. I mean, obviously we were there when we recorded it, but listening to it back and again, for you as a listener, that's one of my favorite episodes, if not my favorite episode of the podcast thus far, to have Robert come on this show and talk so openly about things like social media and his anxiety and the struggles that he's had with getting a book deal and all of these pressure of this and how it's affected him on, on a physical level. It really gets me really worked up. Emotional? Yeah, just because I, it breaks my heart, honestly. And I've actually been working on a new program related to this specifically. And this, I didn't really mean to get into this, but I'm finding that one of my big passions right now is helping people work through all this pressure to measure up. We have on our website, wellevator.com. If you haven't been there yet, we have a great resource, not to pat ourselves on the back, but something that we, we really put a lot of work into called You Are Enough. And it's a free ebook you can sign up for. And the reason that we made that ebook is because so many people feel like they're not good enough. Yes. And I think this ties into this whole conversation because a lot of times we don't feel good enough we are either doing things to try to feel good enough, like using social media, or we're resorting to all of these escapes. Addictive habits. Right? Like yeah. whether it's watching content online, TV, movies, social media videos, TikTok, et cetera, eating refined sugar, drinking alcohol, consuming processed fats or whatever else, whatever type of over-processed foods, smoking nicotine, using recreational drugs, consuming caffeine, watching pornography, all of these things that we might do to to try to bring more pleasure in our life is the root of that, that we don't feel good enough when we're trying to run away from not feeling good enough. Because on a societal level, as I've been working on this new program, in my head, I just kept, it hit me like just a few days ago, as of the time we were recording this, I was in my yoga class and I was reflecting on how much we try to measure each other and how much that's affected my life. It's like I walk into a room and I'll just start thinking like, oh, are people judging me because of the way I look? Like, how do I look today? Are they looking at my body size? Is my body size too big, right? Am I wearing the right clothes? Did I spend enough money on this? Are people judging me because they think I'm too old or too young? 
right? Too much or too little. That constant idea that, I mean, that's basically what it breaks down to is, are we too much or are we too less? And I think a lot of the times when we feel like we're too much, we want to escape, we want to make ourselves smaller. And then if we feel like we're too little, we try to boost ourselves up or maybe we try to fill up the void. I think most of us, it probably swings a little bit more towards feeling like we're not good enough, which means that we feel like we're not enough, which means like we feel we're small, we're little. And how can we fill ourselves up? Mm. And so just through talking about this and thinking about it so much, I find like that's a lot of the work that I want to do is to support people through that. And I hadn't even considered the dopamine stuff until we had this conversation. Yeah. I think the ramifications of this are massive, right? Because as you said, with the nature of this dopamine addiction that we're talking about and dopamine detoxes, it's a never-ending vicious cycle if you allow it to be. And it reminded me of this meme that was going around social media maybe last year. I don't know the timeline, but it was like sort of a cartoon style where there were almost like six or eight frames, you know, in the meme. And there was a guy sitting on a park bench and a guy goes by on a bicycle and he goes, oh, I wish I was that guy. Guy on the bicycle goes by on a motorcycle and says, oh, I wish I had that motorcycle. Motorcycle goes up to like a car and goes, oh, I wish I had that car. Car pulls up next to like a Ferrari and goes, oh, I wish I had that Ferrari. Ferrari like goes to a guy with a helicopter. like, I wish I had a helicopter. Helicopter lands next to a guy with like a, a private jet, right? And it's like, I wish I had that private jet. It's like, it's the same thing we're talking about of this never ending quest to fill ourselves with external validation to try and make ourselves feel better about our existence. Well, it's the same thing like you were saying earlier about like relationships, like you were saying you felt lonely. So it's not just about the material stuff. It can sometimes be, well, I wish I had that relationship. I wish I had that body. I wish I had that clothing. I wish I had that house. That watch, those shoes, that hat, that French bulldog. Got the French bulldog. <laughs> Successfully did that. Um, she I has wish made I my had life those happier. social media numbers, right? <laughs> right. It's never ending. That's where the comparison trap is too. It's like, I wish I had something else. But what we found through our own experiences and just studying this is that those things never fulfill you. I mean, that this is the whole point here is like, we have to realize that we're just seeking out pleasure. But what we really want is just to feel that self-love, is to understand that we are good enough. We are innately worthy, right? And the good news is, as I kind of finished up researching this, at least I could have really gone down a rabbit hole with the dopamine stuff. But in the articles that I was reading, one of the pieces of advice that was given is that if we focus on being curious, that actually will never be depleted. Curiosity is intrinsically rewarding because it doesn't become habituated. There's no way to deplete it. Wow. So if you just focus on being curious about yourself, and I think this is easy for me. I'm naturally curious. I'm a why person. I question everything. I want to know why about everything. So it's easy for me to be curious. But if you, the listener, or even Jason, I, I don't know if you would consider yourself as curious because you're very rebellious as a tendency. But you are, I would say perhaps you are <laughs> curious because you are really interested in these topics and you love your mindfulness. Well, and I'm also experimental too. Yep. You like to experiment. You like to try new things. Those things in itself, if you just continuously try new things, 
maybe if you know you find yourself craving certain foods, like maybe it's just about having more variety as opposed to always going to the same thing over and over again and making it a habit. Or maybe can you take a break? Maybe curious, what would it feel like to just not have a certain thing? Like for me, I tried a week of no coffee. I love coffee. And reading this, I thought, wow, am I addicted to caffeine? Am I addicted to coffee? Perhaps I am. But when I went without coffee for a week, maybe it was even 10 days, I actually didn't feel any different. Maybe it wasn't enough time, but a lot of people said like you would notice your withdrawal symptoms. I didn't really. And I did it out of curiosity. Like, how would I feel? Mm. And I was able to step back and examine my relationship with coffee, just like you were saying earlier, examining your relationship with sugar. Now you have a more balanced experience with sugar. Yeah, and I think this, for me, it comes down to having a healthier, more mindful relationship with any of these things. It's not to demonize them categorically. And I think that's a very important point. It's not to say social media, TV, sugar, any of these things are intrinsically, quote, bad. But being mindful and balanced and intentional about how we're interacting with them, that's, I think, the thing we're getting at here, is being super present, as you mentioned, Whitney, to how we're using them, when we're using, and why we're using them. Instead of, this is categorically a bad thing, I'm never going to do it anymore. Unless you're actually addicted and it's affecting you on a really deep level, like any addict yes. who literally cannot have a substance Correct. Yes. because of how detrimental it is. It really depends on where you're at on that spectrum. It does. I think to me, where I go though is in my own dance with orthorexia of categorically saying this type of food is bad and awful and I ought not to touch it or go near it because it's whatever, poison or this or that. And it's not to say I don't. I mean, obviously, I've been you know, plant-based for 23 years. But I, don't, I just don't want to put animal products in my body. But I just think there's, again, to your point, aside from toxic, addictive things, there's just a thing of like, I don't know, there's a tendency, especially in the wellness field, to be like, that thing's awful and wrong and we should categorically deny its existence. This is all just a very complex complex thing because we're talking about physiology, psychology, spirituality, and the intersection of all those things. Yeah. We're all still working on it, right? This is not, at least for me, something I've completely figured out yet. Absolutely. Well, it certainly has been an interesting conversation. And as our, our goal as usual is to encourage you, the listener, to not be afraid to get uncomfortable and to realize that discomfort is usually temporary, <laughs> just like anything in life. To go outside of your comfort zone, to experiment, to be curious, to be mindful. I mean, mindfulness tends to be the quote unquote answer to a lot of things. And that plays a huge role in your mental well-being, your physical, emotional, and mental well-being, really. And just to open up your mind, if dopamine fasting sounds like something you want to experiment with, you can check out the links. You can try a dopamine challenge. There's like 40-day fasts you can do. There's probably support groups or events that you could go to, like Brick, for example, Tommy Sobel's events that he does online or in person. There are lots of ways that you can experiment with reducing the amount of pleasure that you have in your life just to see. I did a version of this years ago. There's a book called The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. We've mentioned it before, where part of that, we, it was a creative detox, where I think it was for two weeks. I didn't listen to any music, no radio, no CDs, no TV, no books, no comics, no video games. There was no external creative input allowed in my life. And it was so fascinating to see how the floodgates of creativity started to open when I sat down to write or sat down to write a song, sat down just to let words flow out of me. 
and I wasn't being constantly bombarded by external creative stimulation. So I know it's sort of a maybe a subsegment or a more modified version of what we're talking about. But when I did that for two weeks, this was like maybe back in 2005, 2004, when I was in the artist's way, it was phenomenal to do that creative detox. I bet. Well, we'll link to that in the show notes as well at wellevator.com, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. You'll find links to the You Are Enough workbook that we talked about. And if I do move forward with the program I mentioned about, I've been thinking of calling it Beyond Measure. Mm, That's a really great name. That's a really great name. I like the double entendre. Yeah, exactly. It's a good double entendre. (laughs) I know. I really like it too. I'm just kind of exploring that possibility right now to turn it into some sort of coaching and support community and to talk about all the different ways that we let measuring up in our lives, falling into the comparison trap personally and professionally. That's that's something I'm really passionate about. So assuming that I follow through with launching that program, you can find a link to that in the show notes whenever that happens, or just staying up to date with what we're doing here at Wellevator. We'll certainly link to that. And we're also available to do private coaching. So if that's something that appeals to you, you can reach out to us. Our email is hello at wellevator.com. Again, that's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R. You can find us on social media under at Wellevator. We're really easy to find. (laughs) So never hesitate to reach out to us. We truly are here for you. That's why we do this work. The other thing too that Whitney and I have been kicking around as we wrap this is doing more live events. And in the spirit of inspiration from some of the responsible technology slash digital detox events we've been involved with, our dear friend Adam, again, that we mentioned who's going to be a guest on the podcast, I'm actually going to have a conversation later today, Whitney, with him about uh, his ideas for kicking around. He said he wanted to do something with us. So I'm going to poke around with that because we would like to see you in person, dear listener, because one of the things we love to do is meet you in person, face-to-face, heart-to-heart. That's one of our favorite things to do is do in-person coaching and in-person work around mindfulness, around spirituality, around our addictions and how to be a more whole, engaged, intentional person in the world in every facet. So stay tuned for those possibilities. We just might not make maybe no eye contact, though, for doing dopamine fasting, <laughs> right? So if we don't make eye contact with I you, you'll understand why. I love eye contact, why. though. It's going to be so hard for me. See, I this, love it so much. This is the yin and the yang. <laughs> yin and yang, is that right? Yin and yang, yep. That's us. A lot of people call us that because Jason's the extrovert, I'm the introvert. I don't always like making eye contact because I feel uncomfortable with those awkward pauses. Sometimes I'm afraid of getting into small talk. So you'll see me trying to avoid a lot of those things, which is simply it becomes uncomfortable for me, but always trying to push myself outside my comfort zone. So maybe I'll just use, you know, that's the thing is now I can, if I don't want to make eye contact, I'll be like, sorry, I'm dopamine (laughs) fasting. But the reality is I I just am really introverted. (laughs) That's your, on a dopamine fast. Sorry. Exactly. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.